Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. Westside's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy and thanks for tuning in. We're going to dive back into um, this mission and vision series. Um, Over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about... um, Four different things. They all start with C. Today, we're going to talk about calling. Next week, we'll talk about consistency. Week after that, I was originally going to do consistency as the first one in this series, but it just felt like too disjointed. The last like three weeks, I could not talk about consistency in any sort of genuine way after like what just happened to, to us. So, uh, so calling today, consistency next week, uh, courage the week after that, and then curiosity uh, as our as our last thing. Um, just trying to root us in some values um, born out of scripture, born out of, out of our lived experience, born out of our particular place and time in, uh, in the world, stuff that I want us to be about. I believe that God is calling us to be uh, about, um, because I think that as we get that stuff right, uh, the other stuff will fall into place. Um, and a good way to kind of couch all of that is where we be- begin today uh, with this idea of calling. Um, this um, this weekend, uh, I've been at a uh, retreat out on the coast. Actually, Jen is uh, still there uh, through uh, Bushnell. Um, we were uh, getting together, uh, talking uh, about this idea of calling. It's something that Bushnell really emphasizes uh, with its undergraduate students, and uh, it's really cool to be in a in a context there that talks about this so um, seriously, takes it uh, seriously, and um, tries to lean into uh, this idea of us all being called in some sense. So I, I've been at a retreat uh, this weekend talking uh, about this idea. I drove back from. From Yahats uh, this morning uh, in the driving rain. That was that was a good time. Um, <laughs> yesterday morning, uh, we're staying at the we were staying at this little spot called Overleaf Lodge. Uh, yesterday morning, I um, I got up and was trying to go procure a cup of coffee as one does in the uh, bleary hours of the morning um, and. I, I wanted to go over to the lobby. The lobby was in a different uh, like part of the building, so I had, had to go outside and get in with uh, a key card because it was, it was locked early. I come to find out at the time that I was going, uh, it was just closed altogether. There was no coffee, um, which didn't matter because I could not have gotten into that into the lobby because I had forgotten my key card, uh, which I realized uh, just a few seconds after leaving my, uh, my room. Um, in those few seconds, uh, Jen had uh, hopped in the shower, was getting ready for uh, the day. And so I was wandering around in my joggers, sweatshirt, uh, my UFOs, uh, no, so- no socks at all, just barefoot in my, in my little flip-flops, uh, in the pitch black, uh, just wandering around this resort, trying to find a door that would let me into the inside where it was not like uh, the way it felt outside. Uh, and uh, I was 
uh, wildly unsuccessful in finding a place that I could get inside. So I walked back around to our little outdoor porch and just sat down. <laughs> sat down on uh, a little chair there. I found a little break from the wind, and it was, it was kind of nice. Um, <laughs> I shared this episode just so you know a little bit of what it's like to just like be me in the world. <laughs> this, is, this, is what, this is what it is for, for me to exist in, in the world. It's, whoops. Uh, eventually, Jen got out of the shower and saw my eight calls and texts and, and stuff, and I got to go back inside. It was it was fine. Well, while I was sitting there, um, we, we were right on the coast, right on the right off the the rocky shoreline. If you know Yahats at all, it's it's all rocky there. It's so beautiful. It's just we're right by smelt sands, um, and it was dark. It was uh, it was right around six a.m. And uh, 6.30, uh, still dark, but uh, just enough light in the sky so I could see the waves cresting. I could hear them, hear them crashing. I could just like start to, to see them, them cresting. Um, even though it was dark, even though there wasn't a whole lot happening, except me just randomly wandering around this property, um, I, I started noticing that there's all these boats out on the horizon. And I could only see them because they had this light. They each had a little, a little light on them. Uh, they had no idea where they were going, except for that little light on, on them. And they were out there doing their thing. They were about their business. They were out there doing their fishing thing. Um, and I, I was pretty struck by, by the image of going out in the dark and not being able to see a single thing except the thing that the little light in front of you is guiding you towards. And yet in that moment, uh, whether it was dark or eventually as it, as it grew light, they were just about their business. They were just doing what they were called to do or they were uh, supposed to do. And they only got there because of the guiding light, the thing that was that assurance that we just sang about, that blessed assurance, that, that thing that could point them, not, not miles out to sea, but just, the, just enough of the feet in front of them that they needed in that particular moment. And I cannot think of a better image that, to, to think about how 2024 feels like so far, uh, just for, for me, but also I think for... For us as well, I used the, the hiking image uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it, it was just right, right there in front of me again yesterday morning as I sat there with my bare feet in the sea breeze. But that's, that's just it, right? And we, we need that light. And what is that light going to be? What are we actually feeling called um, towards? I, I want to start with a, a question this morning. Uh, whatever age you are, I love that we have a wide, wide spectrum in here from young to slightly less young. That's all. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, my question for you this morning is like, do you ever feel like you're still just wondering what you're going to be when you grow up? 
do you, do you find yourself wondering, like, where's all this going? Or like, what, what am I actually going to do? Or what am I, who am I actually going to be when I grow up? And this is, um, it's kind of a silly way to, to frame it, but it, it's also a real question, right? It's something that goes on in our heads and our hearts from, from time to time. And this is where I find the concept of, of calling so helpful. And it's not just some like, oh, let's pick a, mm, let's pick a, uh, a nice term that will help us think about like the trajectory of our lives. It, it, we don't just pick that term out of nowhere. It, no, in fact, it's built into our identity as a church uh, because uh, the word for church in the New Testament is the word ekklesia, the Greek word ekklesia. So if we look at that word together here, ekklesia, here's the transliteration of it. It's built out of two words, ek plus kaleo. Ek, the preposition for from or out of, and kaleo is the verb to call. To be the church is to be those called out ones, those who have been called out from something and then towards something. Called out ones. So in some basic sense, who we are as the people of God is rooted in this idea of calling, the one who is calling, the nature of that calling for us, and then the fact that we are called once. So this morning, I want to talk about a couple of calling pitfalls, a couple of things that um, are easy for us to go askew in our, in our hearts and minds when we're thinking about calling. I want to talk about a couple of pitfalls, a couple of like antidotes to those pitfalls, uh, and then some basics for building an, uh, an identity around calling uh, in our lives. So first, first calling pitfall is this. It's the, the sacred secular divide. The sacred secular divide. The, the idea that calling is for a certain group of people who have X, Y, and Z professions who are doing something in the church or doing something with some sort of ministry and whatnot. There's the calling of, of the sacred, and then there's everything else. There's the secular. There's whatever other profession you want to, to put under there. And we think that if we, if we live in this sphere over here, that calling belongs to somebody else, and I'm just going to do my thing over here. But that's not really the way ecclesia works. Because it's, the, it's true of, calling is true of each and every one of us. This sort of idea is actually pretty uh, deeply rooted historically in like the, um, the progression of the church. You can go back to, you can trace it back to the, the fourth century when after uh, Christianity was legalized in Rome, there was a, a period of time there where everything seemed all fine and dandy for the church. And then there was this realization by, uh, by some that Christianity had 
changed. And in order to make Christianity a um, something that helps us helps remove us from society, in, in order to like try to be holy and try to be a particular kind of person, there was this group of people that would kind of remove themselves from all of society. And that's where we get the, the beginning of the movement of monasticism. We get monks who went out and lived in the desert or lived in various places. And there's a lot of good and beautiful stuff that came uh, out of that. One of the byproducts of that movement, though, is this beginning of a divide. There were the Christians in the city and there were the Christians outside the city. There were the sacred and the secular. And that, that little shift, no, that significant shift, that long ago, we're talking 15, 1600 years ago now, still takes root. It still animates the way that we think about calling today if we're not careful about it. And that's why I want to be careful about it here together today. Um, there are some things that make that particular perspective very difficult to maintain from Scripture. The primary one that I want to talk about for just a minute here comes from 1 Peter, and it's, it's a concept you've probably heard. If you've been around the church for very long, you've probably heard of it. It's the priesthood of all believers, the priesthood of every single believer, every single New Testament Christian is a priest. Peter, who loved him some Old Testament as he, as he was writing, um, always looking back to the Old Testament. Um, Peter says this in 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 5. He says, you also like living stones. Uh, nice to think of yourself as a brick this morning, right? You also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus changed the game and he made it possible for you, for you to interact with God. You are now the priest. There is one mediator between God and man and that is Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, now you and I are made priests. We don't need a priest. We are made priests. We are made those who are meant to mediate God's goodness to the rest of the world. Down in verse 9, he says this, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, which is just this rich image that's rooted in Exodus 19. We'll talk about that more sometime. A, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Hear the affection of God towards you in this passage. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you. Called you, you hear it? who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, into marvelous light, one translation says. I love that. The priesthood of every single believer, it does not matter your station in life right now. It doesn't matter how worthy or unworthy you feel coming into this room today. It does not matter if your life feels like it's in shambles or if it's put together. Like all of those things, all of those things and everything in between makes you a priest of God. You are a priest in that particular setting. There's no overvalue. There's no higher value put on a ministry job versus a non-ministry job. What you do, and more importantly, who you are, 
has value through Jesus Christ. Now, so we, let's cut the sacred-secular divide in our minds. And, and that will take some retraining in our, in our thinking. But let's, let's work to un, undo that. Next pitfall is what I call the bullseye approach. That I have to shoot the arrow and get it just right. My calling is that one perfect mark on the wall. And if I miss that bullseye, I've gotten it wrong. I've missed my calling. Um, that is the way the human mind might be naturally wired. Um, it probably actually even depends on your personality. You might be more geared that way or a little more uh, open to, to things. But in general, I find us thinking about calling as a singular thing that we're trying to get at. And if we don't get that thing, then we've missed it. Uh, there is nowhere in scripture that really backs this up though. What, what if, I always ask this with my students. I teach a course uh, on calling uh, at, at Bushnell and I always ask my students this at the, at the outset of our class. What if calling is more like writing an essay and not so much answering a multiple choice question? What if it is more mystery than it is black and white, this or that? What if it is this meandering path and you may not know the final destination. It's just an offshoot on a trail that you, that you once knew. What if it's a meandering and it's going to take some divergent turns and some surprises that you didn't quite see along the way? What if calling is multifaceted? It's not just this singular thing. I think we need to beware the bullseye approach. Final pitfall. What <clears throat> final pitfall is, is this, is conflating career and calling. Those are two different things. Overlap? Sure. Yes. Absolutely. And, and for some more than others? Sure. Absolutely. Um, but we have a, a really hard time thinking about calling outside of the realm of career. It's, it's built into our, our vocabulary of getting to know each other. Hi, I'm, I'm so-and-so. Oh, nice to meet you. Oh, what do you do? Is the first thing that we often ask. We're asking about job. We're asking about like the, the stuff that that... We're obsessed with employment as a means of identity getting. Right, we think that the job, we think that the marketplace, we think that whatever we do from our nine to five or whatever your hours are, we think that that is the primary piece of identity. But calling only has something to do with career, and it has actually so much more to do with the rest of our lives. I think we need to challenge the career and calling being the same thing concept. I think we need to challenge that with this question. What if calling is first and foremost about who we are and then about what we do, not the other way around?
This is the testimony of Scripture over and over again. The Scripture is more, Jesus is more interested in the kind of people that we are, the kind of people that we are becoming. And the stuff that flows out of that is what we do. When we work backwards, um, we can get the identity piece wrong sometimes. If we, if we can articulate calling um, without some sort of baseline of like who we are before Christ and, and then crafting a life around remembering who we are before Christ. That's part of what we're doing here together today, but this is only a part of that program. But if we can move that direction, I think we can start to make some positive strides towards understanding what our calling is. Because the, the reality is calling has multiple layers from personal to professional when I think of calling, I think of being a husband and dad. For I think of being a child of God. I think of being a husband. I think of being a dad. Driving back from the coast this morning, uh, I was excited to get to be here. I was way more excited to get to see Mason, who I hadn't seen in 48 hours. Dad is a big calling for me. And it's my, it's fun because it's one of my favorite things as well. But I, I, I cannot reduce who I feel called to be by God to a mere profession. And none of us are called to, to do that. And sometimes that, that is a really important reminder because our profession may feel so disconnected from the bigger program of God in the world. It just, it might just feel like a job that we clock into and clock out of and then just move on with our lives. And I, and I want to, to be so clear that even in that moment, even in that particular occupation, that God is there. The, the reformers did a really good job of, of articulating that any job, again, getting back to the sacred secular divide, any, any place that you are putting in good work, putting in full effort, like that is a good and beautiful and pleasing thing to God. Whatever the role is, there is no hierarchy, but who God calls you to be in the midst of, of all the stuff, that is what reigns most important. When it comes to calling, uh, it can feel like a murky subject sometimes. And so I find it very important to work from what we know towards what we don't know. A lot of times we'll say, I don't know what I'm called to, try to figure it out and not let the foundations, that blessed assurance we sing about, we not let that stuff actually inform. So we need to work our way from what we do know to what we don't know well. And so I want to take just a little bit of time uh, to remind us of what is most important, what we are actually called towards. Because here's the reality. If we love well, if we love well, 
in whatever situation we find ourselves, we are living out our calling. Regardless of whether we can put some nice big label over it, oh, my calling is, is this, or, or can I identify some theme that's tying together these other parts of our, our lives, that's fun work to, to do and to, and to get there for sure. But that, that's often the stuff that we don't know. What we do know is this call to love. What, where is that rooted? I, I want to just work through just a little part of Galatians 5, um, which talks about the freedom that God is interested in us having, the, the freedom that God has created for us, and then what that freedom is supposed to then do for us. Paul starts out Galatians 5, this, this whole section, by saying this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And if we were to talk about, if, if I was to to get to sit down with each and every one of you and ask, like, what, what is it that you really want from a life? There, it would invariably come around, the conversation would come around at some point to this desire for freedom of a sort, freedom of a particular way, freedom from this bondage or, or, or that, maybe the freedom to move about freely, the freedom to move where we want to, to go where we want to. It's freedom that we desire. And, and it's the irony of this, this upside down gospel, this upside down way that God always works. That the thing that we want the most, it is there and it is available to us. It's just found in a place that we don't always think to look. We think freedom is found by pursuing the thing by pursuing freedom itself. But that's not what Galatians 5 says. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And then Paul, um, pretty upset in Galatians uh, because the church in Galatia uh, not been doing the freedom stuff very well. Uh, and said they've been letting a whole lot of other issues get in the way. This kind of person versus that kind of person can be a follower of Christ. There's all kinds of stuff getting in the way of what actually matters the most. And as he addresses that stuff in this coming passage, he ends this next little pericope, this next little section at the end of verse six with this. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts. We can spend so much time twiddling our thumbs, wondering what it is we're supposed to do with our lives. And Paul is right here telling us the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Whatever station you find yourself in in life right now, this verse can be true. Your calling can be lived out. Faith expressing itself through love. What does that love look like? If you were here last summer, we looked at this verse a little bit. Uh, Galatians 5, 13 and 14. I love this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. There it is again. How do we get that freedom, Paul? Do we just go pursue it? But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Do not use your freedom. The fact that you can do as you please. Don't use that liberty unwisely. <laughs> Don't use it to do whatever you want. Don't use it to indulge the flesh. Rather, know 
that your freedom is on the other side of this. Serve one another humbly in love. Paul says uh, what the life of Jesus bears out over and over again. Uh, And that is that our freedom is on the other side of an others-oriented life. Of a, of a disposition that says, I am here to be about the other. And I want to serve and work and love in that direction with all that I am. And as we do that, that's where the freedom comes. The freedom doesn't come from accumulation of stuff. It doesn't come from more, uh, from a bigger paycheck. It doesn't come from a better job. It doesn't come from the thing, the next bullet on our list. It doesn't, freedom doesn't come from that stuff. It comes from being about somebody else, being about others, orienting your life entirely it's not that you fall off the, the paradigm. It's not, it's not that you aren't important. It's just that the freedom is not going to be found as long as you're inwardly focused. That, that it won't work. And I think we know this, right? Because we've tried and we've, we fail, right? When we make ourselves the main thing, it becomes a problem. It becomes a problem. So then... Where does the juice come from? I, I, I think about tomorrow being a Monday morning. It's going to be a first full week of, uh, of classes. Uh, and there, Joshua's energy level <laughs> on his own. Uh, like, I, I don't have it in me to to love the way that I really feel like I ought to tomorrow, to serve, to, to orient my life elsewhere the way that I am called to do. So where does the juice come from? Where does the, the energy come from for such a life? I, wanna, I want us to end over in, in 1 John. 1 John, John has something to say about this in, in chapter 4. Where does the ability to love another come from? I didn't even get to the end of the Galatians passage. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Amazing that didn't say love God and then love your neighbor as yourself. It just says love your neighbor as yourself. I've been reflecting more and more recently uh, on this uh, idea. And it's just, it's absolutely wild as you read through scripture, how infrequently, how incredibly rare it is for a character from scripture to actually articulate, I love God. Or to address God and say, I love you. You get one instance in the Psalms. You get that funny little scene, that little three part scene with Peter in the gospel of John. And everywhere else is all about the love of God towards us. Praising God for his love for us. Thanking God for his love for us. I've been rescued because of God's love for 
us. A call to love, yes, but that love that we are then called to embody, yes, we ought to love God, but we ought to, I think we ought to be really careful when we say, I, I love you, Lord. I think that's a good thing to say. I think we are, are maybe a little too cavalier about saying it when the condition of our heart is elsewhere and when it's about something else. I think that's part of why it's so rare in Scripture. What we do see over and over is not just the call to love God, but to love neighbor as self. That's what Paul's saying there. The entire law is fulfilled. This one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to prove that you love God, it's got to be a horizontal love. You've got to love the person right next to you. How dare you think you can love God if you can't love your grumpy neighbor? The person across the aisle. How can we do that? That sounds too hard. It is. Let's look at 1 John 4, 10. This, 1 John 4, 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love again right here. We would, we would think it would say, since he loved us, we ought to love him. It does not say that. Since he loved us, we also ought to love one another. If you want something to get the engine going for love of a neighbor, for a service-oriented and others-directed life, it is right here. It is the love of God towards us simply put in verse 19 this beautiful verse so easy to memorize so hard to internalize we love because he first loved us we love because he first loved us the truest thing about every single one of you sitting here today is the love of God toward you. That undying, never giving up, persistent, perhaps at times annoying, deep, deep affection of God for you. And the life that you and I are called to um, will always be on the other side of us coming to terms with that glorious fact. Embodying it just a, a little bit more each and every day. So as we move on this series, we talk about consistency and courage and, and curiosity. The big question that ought to be out in front of us is how am I going to, how am I going to put myself in the way of the love of God every day? How am I going to root myself in the love of God? This has to be part of it. I firmly believe this has to be part of it. Gathering here together, sing songs with, with truths that we couldn't muster on our 
own to hear to hear the word confront us in in ways that we might not be ready for but we need so so badly we like that this sunday time together is so crucial to it but it's not all all of it how will you root yourself in the love of god and then what are you going to go do with that love that love of Christ towards us, that's the guiding light. That's the thing that gets you a few feet ahead. It doesn't illumine the path way down the road the way we would like. It does not make us um, ready for all the things that we think we ought to be ready for, but what it does do is it energizes us for a life of service and love that we are, are called to. Calling is no fancier than that. I think we ought to think carefully about our specific situations and the way that God has called us into the world and the stuff that we're good at and all, all of that. I think we ought to think carefully about that and we'll do that together. That's good. But we have to work from what we know first and what we know is the love of God for us and that's the direction that he wants us to move as well. Uh, worship team, why don't you come on up? Um, one, of, one of the best ways, uh, one of my favorite ways to... Uh, be rooted in the love of God is, um, is to take communion together and to um, be reminded that that love for us is rooted in uh, deep sacrifice, uh, the sacrifice of Jesus for us upon the cross. Uh, I, I think that as we um, remember that Jesus' love towards us is sacrifice, we, we might be a little bit better prepared for a life of sacrifice. A life of love sounds nice. A life of sacrifice sounds a little more daunting. Uh, we're called to both. Um, and that's why we come to the table, to be reminded of one who has sacrificed on our behalf. Um, so the uh, band's, band's going to play. Um, and just let, let these words from Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 kind of just sink, sink into your heart and mind. It said, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Um, let's proclaim God's goodness. Uh, together. You can come up as you uh, feel led, grab uh, the elements and kind of take them at your leisure. I, I encourage you to, um, uh, to like, take a moment to reflect just on, on where you're at. What do you feel like God is, is saying to you in this moment? Our prayer team will be up here in, in a moment. If you want to chat with them, if you want to chat with, with me, uh, with any of our staff, like we'd, we'd love nothing more than that. Um, so we'll do that and then we'll sing and we'll be on our way.